Welcome back, guys. It's episode seven of The Sweet Life of Missionary Partnership. That's right. And the reason we say that is because... Fundraising. Fundraising. Fundraising is hard. But partnership is sweet. 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 Fundraising is hard, but the partnership is sweet. And it's kind of like a hard candy. Takes a while. Takes some time. It's a process. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's not easy. But it is sweet. The relationships are sweet. The partnership is sweet. In fact, just recently, I was really sick on the mission field. I mean, bad. Mm -hmm. And we tried to get over it. We tried to get well. Wasn't happening. And we reached out to all of our partners. Yeah. And they all started praying, fasting, sending texts, yeah. sending worship songs, sending, sending verses. Yes. And honestly, within 24 hours, I was healed. And I think it was because we need people who are sending us. We need yeah. people who are behind us. We need a team of people, especially when we're in a difficult situation. Yeah. And so they, it was the most encouraging thing. In fact, Juan was reading the prayers to me because I was just laying in bed mm -hmm. and reading all the messages from everyone. And he was crying as he was reading them because we were so touched yeah. at the kindness, the love, the support, the prayers of everybody, advice. It was amazing. Yeah. We're not looking at our partners as like some kind of giving unit. Okay. No. <laughs> These are our friends. Are our friends. And we need them and they need us. Yes. That's the like the sweet part of life. Yes. And then after they reach out to us, many times I'll reach back to them to thank them and see how they're doing. And then I'll hear about them and their kids and their lives. And then I'll pray and get a word from God for them and share that word or get a verse for them, share that verse. And so I want to encourage you, your ministry is not just to now where you are, where you're going. It's also to everyone you've ever known. Yeah. And that's a way you can literally minister to everyone you've ever known in the world, everyone you're with now, and then prepare yourself for those you're going to minister to in the future. Yeah, you're taking them on the journey. That's right. So uh, we have been sharing uh, in most of these episodes a true story from YWAMers Around the Gold uh, Globe. <laughs> around the gold. <laughs> Don't touch the gold. The glory or the gals. That's what they taught me about. Oh, wait, what did they say? What they, they said, don't touch the gold, the glory, or the gals. But uh, as like a, as a, as a minister, yes. you learn that at Christ. Don't get involved. You don't get, don't get tipped away sexually yeah. or with power or with money. That's right. You know? Good. That sounds kind of old, old school. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about money, of course, in a, you know, we talked about how God dedicates so many parables to money. That is really a, a key part of the New Testament in the Bible, yeah. but we rarely talk about it. But it doesn't mean that we have the love of money. Right. I don't have the, in fact, my dad would tell me I don't love money enough because <laughs> I dropped, as a kid, I would drop everything on the floor or throw it. Like I didn't take care of my things, right? I was very, you know, blase with all of my things. And he would say, you don't care enough about your things, you know, or she, money. And she never really changed. And, <laughs> hey, I pick up. Yeah, you do pick up, but you, you do, you don't really care about material stuff. I don't. Much. You give it away more than you keep things. Here's a funny example. I remember when I was a mother of four, when the kids were little, and we yeah. had a minivan that someone gifted to us. Thank you so much. Um, I found, I don't know where this came from, but it was under the driver's seat of the car. There was one of those plastic rings that kids wear that have like flowers in the plastic. Yeah. And I thought, ooh, this is cool. And so I wore that as my wedding band, I think for three years. <laughs> A plastic ring. 
that I found on in the floor of the minivan. Yeah. That was my wedding gift. Yeah, that's how that's how I roll. Uh, very non-materialistic. <laughs> so you could probably relate if you're a missionary. Right. But uh, we want to share this true story uh, from a YWAM around the globe. And her name is Jaehee Cho. So Jaehee, if she was sharing this in her own voice, it'd be in Korean, and only you Koreans would understand. Uh, but for the rest of us, we have had it translated into English. Right, because we wanted to communicate also to our other Asian friends who speak yeah. all the other Asian languages, which are so many. Yeah. So Jaehee Cho and her husband, they actually went to the Korean Discipleship Training School in Kona. And afterwards, they went on to serve as missionaries of YWAM in Singapore, the Cook Islands, Australia and Indonesia, and they've done outreach in Cambodia, Thailand, China, Hong Kong, Nepal. I mean, these are real missionaries. Oh my goodness. So you're hearing from somebody with a lot of experience. And and now they're serving on Jeju Island uh, in South Korea. Yes, they are. So this is how Jaehee overcame the cultural stigmas around money in her country and culture. We joined YWAM just after DTS and we didn't know what to do about fundraising initially. But at that time, we had had some savings to use for a while. We felt ashamed to receive money from people. Some even offered to give to us, but we wouldn't give them our bank info. I was uneasy about receiving donations, so we struggled financially. A YM leader confronted us by telling us that we are too proud to receive their support. She taught us that it is God who gave them the heart to support us. So if we reject their support, it is like we are rejecting God's blessings for them. That is when we got training on how to build a partnership team. Most Koreans think it would be shameful to give a small amount, but a large amount would be burdensome. So I learned how to ask people for 10 to $20 a month for one year, and they liked that because it felt easy to give. There is a cultural difference between Westerners and Asians. Koreans think more about appearances, and it is shameful to say no in person. So, I did not talk to them in a face-to-face -face meeting, rather, I used Kakaoto, like WhatsApp or messengers, rather than email, because it was more popular and using it got me quicker responses. It was an easy way to have two-way communications inside Korea. Koreans found it difficult to say no directly, so many of them would not respond to messages I would send them. I didn't let that deter me, and 
kept in contact through updates sharing what I was doing in God's kingdom. Some of those same people who ghosted me ended up partnering with me later. The first year, I asked people to partner with me. I gained 46 partners who gave in all different amounts, both large and small. In the second year, 32 of those people extended their commitment, and I added 22 new partners on top of that for a total of 54. Some of the partners increased their giving to 30, 50, 100 dollars monthly. In the third year, I had 65 monthly partners. In the fourth year, our partnership team grew to 95 people. 77 of those have been giving for four years. Now, many of my partners thank me because now they know more about missions through me. Every Christian knows about the Great Commission and feel guilty that they do nothing about it. They can get involved in the Great Commission by becoming a mission partner. I have now led workshops on fundraising for my fellow missionaries. One workshop I taught had 60 people attending. Some of them reported back to me how well it has been going. Two missionaries who minister in Bulgaria and Taiwan used the training to both recruit 70 financial partners each. You don't have to do missions alone. First, you need to have clear vision and inspire people with your vision. Teamwork makes your vision and dreams come to life. Please share your vision with the people around you. They are the ones God will use to provide for you. The more people you have on your team, the more results you will get. It is not an easy job to do, but cultivating partners is one of my most important ministries. When I studied this four years ago, I wondered if it would really work. But now I consider it my first ministry to encourage my monthly partners. Fundraising is not only about money, but also more importantly, relationships. I pray my testimony can encourage you for more action. Thank you for listening and God bless you. Wow. So I know that a lot of what she had to say really is very different than we've already taught you. Yeah, it almost goes opposite to a lot of our training. Right. The the $100 amount is down to 20, right? Just to get started. Yeah, just to get started. Um, and also uh, the way she asked, she used cacao. So she's not using a letter. She's using she's not face-to-face. Like, uh, it's more like a text or instant messenger. Right. Yep. Um, it's not face-to-face mm-hmm. because that would be shameful to say no face-to-face. 
So what she's doing is she's adjusting the training yeah. to be appropriate for her culture, using what's appropriate and timely and popular in her culture to communicate. Yeah, but she is asking. She is sharing vision. These are the key elements. And I had another Asian friend tell me that they actually uh, would meet with someone who is a potential partner and have dinner with them and spend literally like four hours together, just spending quality time together. And then before they left, they would leave a letter behind and say, if you would, if you would please uh, read this letter to hear about what I'm doing in missions and consider involvement, I would appreciate it. And that way the person could read it privately on their own, discuss it with their family, make a decision, and then they could follow up later. But it's a more of an indirect ask in that culture. Also, I love how what she did is she started with her asking mm -hmm. and got a good amount of partners the first year. Yeah. And she didn't stop. I think that's a mistake a lot of missionaries make is they get going. They're like, oh, I'm good. And they stop. But no, she maintains relationship with the partners. She builds new partners because you want to get new partners every year because you will have people who will drop off. She has to start giving to something else. Maybe they'll lose their job. They retire. Maybe they were only called to give to you to get you going sure. for a year or two. Yes. They didn't plan on being a 20-year partner, just a two-year partner, and that's sure. okay. So that's why we need to add a good amount of partners every year to replace the ones that are making decisions to go elsewhere with their giving. Right. And so I love how she built and built and built and got to 90-something partners. Yes. And I think that's something we have to remember. If, if you're in a developing country, you may have to ha ask for less. Right. And get more partners, mm -hmm. right? So you may need 100 or 200 partners at a low giving level um, instead of having 50 or 80 partners at a higher giving level, depending, right? Sure. Yeah, that's true. I, I think what's amazing here, though, is this woman of God and her husband went from being so ashamed to receive money to having 95 partners a month. Right. That's inspirational. They wouldn't even give out their bank account information. Even when they were asked, people wanted to give. They wanted to give, and they didn't give an easy way for them to give. And that's another thing we're going to get into soon, and that is giving people an easy way to give. I find so many times when we travel, I want to give to people. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how can I give to you? I, like, right. I feel like the Lord wants me to give them $200, maybe. Right. But they're like, oh, you, you can only do it this one way. And it you have to transfer works. money from your bank to my bank. And, and it only works in our country. And I'm like, well, how do you get people to give from other countries? Oh, that is difficult. And I'm like. They don't know. They don't know. And they don't have any donate donors or partners <laughs> from other countries. So you have to figure out a way for people to be able to easily click and give. Mm -hmm. So it's easy because that's the society we're in today. Yeah. Um, we're in the GoFundMe on 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 Facebook or or wherever Kickstarter or Kickstarter yeah. society people just want to click and give they want to grab their phone and give people in offerings in churches they just click and give yeah um and so if they're doing and churches are always 20 to 40 years behind so if you don't have a click and give from a cell phone that can happen in 3 clicks you're behind the church that's 20 to 40 years <laughs> behind society so uh time gotcha. to make that current so the most important thing to remember as we talk about all this, because you might say, click and give. That's so hard. Well, remember this. Fundraising. Fundraising. Fundraising is hard. But partnership is sweet. 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 That's right. You got to do the hard work. Do it right. Do a great job. Make a way. Make it easy for the partner. It's not about being easy for you. It's about them. <laughs> 
make it easy for them, not easy for you. Okay, so let's go into the next segment. It's about how much should we raise? Right. How much is appropriate to raise? How much is too much or too little? Right. I think everybody has this question in their mind, like, is it okay to raise, you know, this number in their mind? Right. People put a budget together. Hey, we have friends who have six kids. They live in an expensive area. They're on mission, but in an expensive area. And so they have their house, they have their mortgage, they have their kids, and they put together a budget. They're like, oh my gosh, this is like 150, 200,000 a year. Cause maybe they're traveling around the world. There's airline tickets for six people. You know, there's all these expenses and they're like, ah, oh, it's too much. Well, what is too much? What's too little one? Really? Here's the rule I would follow. Raise enough for your family or yourself, if you don't have any kids or anything, and your ministry to thrive. Raise enough for your family and your ministry to thrive. Because if you're making decisions to not go on outreach, not go serve, not go help people based because, oh, I guess I don't have enough money. I just can't. Or not go on vacation and rest so you can recuperate and keep going for the long haul. Or, our goal for you is to make it for the long term. Yeah, and, and to have a healthy family. And if you're making decisions on taking your family on vacation or getting them a uniform for their sports team and say, well, we don't have enough money. I guess they can't play sports. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not good enough. Right. We, need, we need more faith and we need more action. What is that verse about um, worse than an unbeliever? Yeah. If you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. That's really rough. And then also, I think you need to raise enough to bless others. Yeah. You want to have such an increase that it doesn't just take care of yourself and your family, but you have savings or retirement and you have enough to be tithing mm -hmm. and to be giving, giving to other missionaries. You go on an outreach somewhere, you work for an orphanage, they need a new roof. It's going to cost $3,000 and you have that $3,000 or $1,000 to put towards it and you can give yes. and make a difference in the world because you want to fundraise, not just for yourself, but for all the ministries and missionaries and, and ministries that you help, you can give too and you be a giver. Yes. So we, 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 don't want, we, we don't want to stay impoverished. We want to have enough to cover all our expenses and enough to take care, to be healthy as a person and as a family so we can make it for the long haul, not run out of steam and burn out. That's unacceptable. Right. And it looks different for each family and what you're looking for. Something we do, this is a personal story, is we have a family of six and we don't see our kids very often because we live on the road all the time. But we are a super close family. We love our kids. We love to get together and we love Christmas. Mm -hmm. So we make sure that we fundraise enough to put aside a little money every month. And then that way, when Christmas comes, normally your kids and your grandkids, if you're our age, would come visit you at the family home. Well, we don't have our family home. It's gone. Uh, <laughs> so they, yeah, we left our family home in 2020, and we've been living on the road ever since and don't have a home. So don't feel sorry for us. It's, it's okay. We're good. But we put aside money so that way we can have a home for Christmas. So we pick out an Airbnb somewhere that is warm and loving and happy and great with a Christmas tree, and we all show up and we have a wonderful week together as a family and it's Christmas creating memories with our kids and our grandkids. And, and, and because we don't pay for a home, we put some of that money we'd usually put towards mortgage or home repair 
towards having this place to be with our family once a year. Yeah. That's something we do as missionaries. Yeah, don't you think the Lord cares about this stuff too? Of course he does. Right. He wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy this life, not just suffer through it and <laughs> sacrifice his struggle. Yeah, and there's sacrifice and there's struggle, yeah. but he's a good, good father mm-hmm. who loves to bless his children and he wants you to live an abundant life. So we have a great friend named Terry Sherman. Yeah. And at the end of this podcast, and then also at the uh, with the resources we're going to give, we're going to give a link to her training. She yep. has a free online training yep. that she gives. Mm-hmm. Um, she's writing a book right now. I can't wait till it comes out. And uh, yeah. as soon as it comes out, we'll put a link on the podcast for that as well. Yeah, her training program is called Relational Fundraising, and she trains all over the world. We actually had her share uh, earlier in our podcast a great segment uh, on the spirit of mammon. But today she's going to share something equally valuable about manna. (laughs) So get ready and listen to her story. Take it away, Terry. Hello, my name is Terry Sherman. I am part of the Heidebeck base in the Netherlands with Youth with a Mission. Um, when Ed and I first joined Youth with a Mission in 82, we thought we'd be there two years. As like many YWAMers, we didn't have a clue how long we would be there. So we thought, oh, after a couple of years of this experience, we'll go home and we'll get a real job. But it didn't end up that way. We're still here 40 years later. We had very minimal support at that time. Um, It lasted us for a while, but then the dollar went down and we went into debt and we struggled. At one point we thought, I think God's telling us to leave. Uh, He sent a friend, a special friend who helped us at that time. We were able to raise support in that time in 86 and we stayed in YWAM. But we didn't didn't have a, a continuous good level of support. As our expenses went up and as the dollar went down, we struggled more and more and more. Um, this is a problem I think many YWAMers have, that they they don't have enough for the long term because they also come in with a short-term mentality. Now we did see miracles and we had manna along the way, but I have to admit that this was very stressful. It was not easy to live like this. It was very draining also of energy. Um, so at a certain point, I, I began to see from what I was studying in the Bible that there are seasons of provision that God has for us. Many of us um, will see this in a longer time in YWAM. Uh, the journey of the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8 has really helped me to see this, these seasons of provision, a season of manna versus a season of working the land. So we know all about the Israelites, how they were delivered from Egypt. They ended up in this wasteland, the desert, for 40 years. Uh, They did see miracles. They had manna that was provided for them because they couldn't provide anything for themselves. And finally, they did cross the Jordan and they went into the promised land. But so what was going on in the desert? The desert was a place of no resources. They could not 
make food, they could not plant crops, they could not find water. Uh, so God did wonderful provision for them through manna and through quail and water from a rock. That desert was a place of testing and humbling and learning that God is trustworthy. But what we see is the day they crossed over, everything changed. There, the manna stopped that very day, and so their way of provision changed. Manna was temporary, and God had never intended for them to live on it the rest of their lives. Now they were entering a land with many rich resources. But they had to do the work to use those resources in order to uh, dig the copper out of the hills and get the... the uh, yeah, they had to plant their own crops. They had to do the harvest. They had to do hard work. And he reminds them at the end of Deuteronomy 8, don't forget that it is God who gives you the ability to create wealth. God has given us resources through which we can create wealth. Enough wealth to cover our needs, but also to uh, be able to be generous to others. Most of us in YWAM, we don't know. We come in with a short-term mentality. We're not sure how long we're going to be here. Um, and it's normal to go through a discovery season in the beginning and learn along the way whether God is calling you for longer. And when I say long-term, I mean a career in missions. We can choose to have a career in missions. But that means we will need to have something to sustain us for a career. It's during the discovery season that we learn many lessons. We go through many stretching experiences and our faith does grow. We see God provide in different ways and we experience manna, but God didn't intend for us to always live on manna. Um, many of us don't have committed support when we start or we have a very minimal amount, but it's because we are not thinking long term and often there is no training available. But once we know that we're called for the long term, that it's time for us to get serious. And that's when we need to build a team of long-lasting partners. Hard work uh, is part of this building a team and maintaining the team. And we need to realize that this work is part of our ministry. It's central to what we do. It's the thing that holds us up. And it actually is part of our ministry. It's it's not something we should think about as a, something to do on the side in our spare time, uh, if you have any. Uh, it's also not something we should be just doing as, as when we, whenever we have a crisis. This is actually how Ed and I lived the first 20 years. We lived from crisis to crisis, and we only did support raising when we were in those crises. But we have learned now that... No, this is a central part of our ministry. It's something we should be doing all the time, uh, along the way, as we go. When we transition from not having a team of partners to building a consistent support base, then we are working the land. So what are our resources? For most of us YWAMers, our greatest resource is our network of relationships. God loves to connect us with mission-minded people who want to invest in the kingdom. And this is a beautiful two-way ministry. Not only are we blessed, but our, our, our partners are going to be blessed as well. This is the beauty of all this. So creating partnerships from our network of relationships is how we work the land. Now, our manna season lasted 
20 years. And I think it's longer than it needed to. Uh, we hadn't learned so much of this, but once I did learn the biblical foundation and how good it is to put in the work to build a team of ministry partners for the long term, then things changed for us and became much more stable. Today, we don't have to be in that stressful situation of, Ooh, are we going to have enough for this? And we don't have to raise support for every ministry trip. We have enough in our savings because we've raised enough to be able to put things aside for the future ministry trips. That's pretty wonderful. So my question to you is, what season are you in? Has God been speaking to you about manna and that your manna season is coming to an end? And if so, then it's time to leave the desert. It means it's time to start working the land. It's time for you to really look at your network of relationships and ask God, who are the people you want to partner with me out of my network of relationships? God, show me. And God will show you. He will lead you. He will guide you. And you will be blessed and they will be blessed. So I really urge you to ask the Lord, what is he saying to you today? How is he leading you? Listen to him and, and follow him. Wow, manna, this is such a key thing because so many YWAMers that I have known and missionaries, they are just living on a th by a thread. They're barely hanging around. Some of them are in debt and they're just praying and like, they're just waiting and waiting for somehow manna to fall out of heaven. Mm -hmm. And as Terry said, God does provide miraculously. He does. Especially to get us started when we don't know anything. Yeah, he's so gracious to provide supernaturally. He does provide supernaturally, okay. and it's great, but it's not that great. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like the manna, you know, the Israelites, it's like they're like, oh, praise God, you know, we have the manna. But then after a year, two, three, they're like, I hate this manna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're living on manna, it's a stressful life financially actually and you're living day to day right right just like they were yeah. and it gets kind of tiring after I, a while you get sick of it but there's good news <laughs> the lord takes us away from manna into the promised land the land flowing with milk and honey yeah and so we cross over i think when we're making that long-term commitment to missions we're we're in for the long haul we're doing this yep we cross over and it's like okay there's no more manna but you can work the land and in working the land you get grapes, and then you get tomatoes. You get cheese from the cows and bread from the wheat to make nice pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, like Terry said, he gives you these resources. And for us, it's a lot of the time our relationships and our time. And so we need to work the land. We need to share with our network of friends, family, loved ones, churches, and, and build that team to accomplish together what he's called us to do. Yeah, so great. I, I I love Terry. She's really an excellent communicator, and I love how she brings out things in a way I'd never thought about before. You know, related to this, Lauren Cunningham, founder of Youth with a Mission, shared this quote from his book, Daring to Live on the Edge, The Adventure of Faith and Finances. Lauren said, some people, for special purposes and callings of God, are directly supported by God. 
like the Israelites receiving manna in the wilderness, or Elijah being fed by ravens. This kind of direct provision from God is for a short time in unusual circumstances or for a dramatic demonstration of his power. In other words, Lord is saying, this is not a strategy or model to live on uh, as for a lifetime as a missionary. Um, God does provide miraculously, but he has a better plan, which is the promised land, which involves the body of Christ working together as a team. Yes. it's He said for a short time in unusual circumstances, yeah. this is what happens. Yeah. But I think so many times we read these books by Lauren Cunningham, our founder of Youth with the Mission, and Darlene, of course, and we're like, wow, you know, God is just going to miraculously come through. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And yes, he does. And that's an addition to us working the land and being faithful, good stewards of what God's given us to take what we have and build more. Yeah. So you have to look at manna, which maybe you've been living on manna. As you listen to me, you're like, gosh, I've got three partners and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sweating it. I'm afraid I'm going to lose one and even be more in trouble. Uh, so, you know, when you look at manna, is it really the ultimate blessing or is it kind of a consolation prize? Yeah. And maybe God is calling you to enter the promised land. Right. And with that, I want to say if you only have a few partners and one of them is a major big donor, a huge chunk, Trouble, that spells trouble. You want to have, um, especially if you have one that's a major donor, like, oh, I'm doing fine. I have this one major donor and two other little ones. I'm like, no, no, no. Because if you lose that one major donor, you're in big trouble. So you need to add more. Right. It's like, don't put all your eggs in one basket because if you trip in that basket, all those eggs are broken. You want to make sure to have um, a wide variety yeah. of, of people. Um, who are on your partnership. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we read a book together by Scott Morton. It's titled Funding Your Ministry. And Scott has been training missionaries all over the world. He originally is from an organization, uh, excellent organization, missionary organization called The Navigators. And they do ministry to students on college campuses around the United States. And so they are very familiar with uh, building a partnership team. Right. I love this book. In fact, this book is my favorite. Okay. Scott Morton, Funding Your Ministry. I think it's because it's more like a workbook. Uh It's got some color and some pictures. And I don't know, I'm a little more of a creative. Uh And uh, it's it's very user-friendly, easy to read. I I love this book. I think this is a must-read for every missionary. It's very well written. And the reason why I'm mentioning it is he did a study that is going to really very clearly, using data, explain to you why the method we are providing training on is the most effective, especially in the Western world. Um, So listen to uh, this case study results. And as he does this, you might say, I'm not in the Western world, but As a missionary, I'm sure you're meeting people from the Western world. So you can utilize these stats. You need to know this too because you're meeting people and you can utilize it for that. But you number people, you're going to love this. Yeah, so get ready. (laughs) 
So the study was done with 100 uh, navigator staffers. Those are those missionaries. And they the study was when these 100 people made 7,800 financial appeals. 7,800. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot of asks for monthly partnership. And so they they took the results and gave us some some real insight into what really works. Now, for those who spoke to a group and they asked in a group for missions partnership, 9% of the audience supported the staffer. Okay. Now, 9%. So if they're speaking to a group of 100, nine people said yes. Okay. But let's say if they're speaking to a group of 10. <laughs> then one person says yes. All right. And so any group that is a small group, a big group, it doesn't matter. If you ask in a group, generally, your response rate is going to be only 9%. And this is the way missions used to work. People would leave the mission field, go to their home country, travel from church to church, small group to small group, and share and ask For people months. to give. Yeah. They do three months out of the year sometimes or three months out every two years. It's like a rotating thing. Um, again, you don't have to do that anymore mm -hmm. because of the sad case of COVID. But the good case for missionaries in that is most people know how to Zoom. Yeah, they, they know do. how to FaceTime. You don't have to travel all the way home and go right. group to group. But if you do speak to a group, um, that's not the most productive way yeah. to fundraise because you're only getting um, like a 9% return. No, I will say this as a caveat. I have spoken to groups and shared our vision and why why we're in missions and asked them to get involved. But I followed up one-on-one, face-to-face to ask them specifically if they would consider uh, joining our team. So how did you do that? Well, for example, we had some friends who said, could we put together like a uh, coffee and dessert uh, with some friends of ours and have you come over and share? We did. We had a great time getting to know them. We watched it. We showed them a little video about our ministry. And then we followed up later. We said, if it's okay with you, we'd like to contact you later to see if you'd be interested in joining our team. And we did. And several of them said yes and have been supporting us for 20 years. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and and so it's, yeah, it's, it's the friend who has hosts the event, who has their contact information, who gives it yeah. to you because they said, yes, I do want to hear more. Yeah. However, it's still not the best way. Let me go on. Oh, if you're in a big church... You might have a clipboard, right? Right. If you're speaking, let's say the pastor says, oh, I'm going to let you speak at the church and there's 500 people in attendance. Right. Well, you can share your mission and your vision, but then ask people, could I connect with you right after the service to talk more? I have a clipboard. You can sign up to be on my mailing list. I'd like to get together and follow up and see how you'd like to get involved. Right. And, there you go. And then you have maybe four people with clipboards out in the lobby Collecting all the That's names right. and That's phone numbers. Yes. You need a group of people. I get all the ushers to have clipboards and you're available to meet and chat with people. But the more information you can get, that is your list. And then you can determine if they'd probably be number one because you want to follow up quickly in a situation yeah. like that. Yeah. You want to meet with them as soon as possible. But really, that's not the best way, but it is one way. Uh, a second way, which was a little bit better, was... This is still part of the case study for the Navigator staffers yeah. who did 7,800 financial appeals. Then when they asked to group, 9% supported the staffer. And then what's the second thing that they calculated? Okay. So some people sent a letter out to individuals asking them to join their team. And they actually had a 14% response rate. 
Wow, that's really high. And I think this is dated because I think it's down to 2% right now. Yeah, I, I think it really has changed in this digital age. Uh, we're getting much, much less response. Or even if do people people do give, it's kind of a one-time gift. Right. When they respond to just just a letter. Yeah, a letter is a one-time gift usually, which is not what we need from no, a long-term missionary. It's not right. So let's, let's go on to the next way. Some people sent a letter, but then they followed up individually with a phone call. Uh, this actually happened to me. We had zero training. We became missionaries. And I sent out a bunch of letters. And my dad asked me, because he was leading the ministry at the time, he this, said... This was back in uh, 1990... <laughs> the, the early 90s. Early 90s or something. Okay, go ahead. He said, uh, how's it going? And I said, terrible. No one has responded to all those letters. I sent out, you know, 100 plus letters. And he said, did you call them? And I was like, well, you can call them? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know this. Yeah. Uh, and I did. And guess what? Some people gave. And according to this study, people who sent a letter and then followed it up with a phone call had a 27% response rate of joining their partnership team and missions. So that's definitely much greater, right? And I think part of that is that direct. You're directly calling someone, directly talking to them. It's yes. not the general thing. Right. It's personal. Right. Now, but let's get to the most successful way. Right, because, you know, your time as a missionary is limited. You're busy. You've got a mission space to run. You've got things you're serving. You've got work duties. You've got a family, maybe, and kids. And you have a lot. You don't have time. You only got two, four hours a week to work on this fundraising thing. So you want to do the thing that is going to be the most effective, yes. reach the most people, and make the most amount of income in the quickest amount of time. And this is it. And what this is, is the way we use exclusively, by the way. This is the only way we do it. I don't do it any other way. Right. Face-to-face -face asking. This study found that 46% of the people who asked face-to-face -face got a monthly partnership. And almost half of all the people that they met with one-on-one -on -one said, yes, I'm joining your team. I'll help launch you into ministry and partner with you to uh, spread the gospel and yeah. reach the lost. That's so good. And of course, with us, it was Zoom. But some people, they're let's say if they're you're you're getting prepared to go into missions and you haven't left your hometown yet, yeah, this is a great time to get as many face to face one on ones as you can. I think that's excellent and so important that we remember face-to-face -face yeah. is going to have the best in um it asking face-to-face -face, it actually means that their gift will be much higher isn't that true it, it is if yeah you can ask generally like in a group you can send out letters all that and they there will be some percentage of response and gift but it's going to be a lower gift than if you met face-to-face -face with the person or over zoom and ask them, would you give it this, at this level, this is what, you know, our ask is, they will give more, actually. Yeah, and, and isn't it that it's not just more, but also it's how often they give, right? Exactly, and that's what we need to be sustainable. We need monthly partners who are with us for the long haul, and if we ask face-to-face, -face, there's a heart connection. There's something there where they feel the emotion of, wow, this is cool. This is a great mission you have. Right. Right. So they want to get involved. They're like, if you ask for a monthly partner, you're more likely to get a monthly partner. Right. So when you ask someone to partner with you, you're saying you need to ask for a monthly. Yeah. So to say, how do you say that when you phrase it, when you're talking to someone? Well, I'm, we're going to go into a lot more details later, but basically it's like, hey, 
now that I've shared the vision and what I'm doing and why, would you consider joining my monthly partnership team for, let's say, $100 a month? And then you stop and you just let them respond. Mm. And so, you know, you invest the time and energy into communicating why and what the vision is with a letter and then meeting in person, sharing some slides. We're going to explain more about that, how to do a meeting, right, mm -hmm. in a little while. But right now, the point is they'll give more if it's face-to-face. -face, they'll give more often if it's face-to-face. -face, and the length of years will be longer wow. if you ask face-to-face. -face. You know, I think also it's probably a greater relational connection, yeah. not just to you, mm -hmm. but to what God is doing through you in missions. So I can see that relational connection being so much stronger when it's face-to-face. -face. Yeah, yeah. So I hear that there's one main reason why people give. What is that reason, Ron? Yeah, it's they were asked. That's why people give. That's why people join a team. They're asked. They're invited. People like to be asked and invited. It's so true. I think even after someone finishes a discipleship training school or the basic training for whatever your missions program is, they're hoping to be asked into something. And when they're not, sometimes people assume, well, I guess God's not calling me into missions. Nobody asked me, you know, to join the team, to join the team or to be a part of anything. And so it's so important that we ask. And this reminds me of the verse in James chapter four, verse two. says, you have not because you ask not. People say, oh, I don't have any staff. Well, have you asked 100 people to join your staff this year? If you ask 100 face to face, eye to eye, you probably have a 48% chance of 48 people saying yes out of the 100 or maybe half of that of 20, yeah. right? It's how many people you ask, right? Or you're like, oh, I don't have any people from my school that I'm leading this quarter. Well, how many people have you asked face-to-face, eye-to-eye, directly invited yeah, yeah. to be a part of your school? I bet you, you know, a little less than half will say, yes, I would like to come just because they were asked. You have not because you ask not. And that applies to our finances equally as much. Yeah. And it is hard asking others to invest, to partner. It's hard because we're not used to it, because it might make us nervous, because we're, we're just... It just, it feels awkward, but yes, fundraising is hard. It's hard work. You're going to have to learn new skills and do new things if you want new results. But here's the kicker. The partnership is sweet. Yeah. Fundraising. Fundraising. Fundraising is hard. But partnership is sweet. 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 You know, I want to mention somebody that I hear mentioned quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, he's this great man named George Mueller. Um, George Mueller was famous for never fundraising and trusting God to provide funds for an orphanage he ran, I think, in England, right? Yep. You know, miraculously, he experienced lots of last-minute provision for the children, and he became a legend. Yes. And maybe a myth as well. Oh, yes. As an Urban legend. <laughs> as an example of how people should not have to fundraise at all. So people are like, well, George Mueller didn't ask and God just provided, right? Um, but, you know, the truth is George did fundraise, but in an indirect 
English way. Yeah. And I understand this because I'm part English. Yeah. Uh, my grandmommy was English. Yeah. I remember for uh, before dinner at my grandmother's house, we would have to shower, dress in a dress, put on nice shoes, maybe pantyhose back in the day, <laughs> go down and you'd eat on nice china and crystal. Yes. And you would sit up straight and mind your P's and Q's, right? right? Um, and so it, I have an English culture in, in my grandparents' uh, culture. And so I understand if we're sitting at that dinner table, you would never say um, something directly. You would say five things around that topic, and that topic is what you meant. Yeah. You wouldn't say it directly. That would be uh, uncouth. It would right. be rude. Right. right. And so George was doing fundraising, but he was doing it in the appropriate way for his culture. Yeah, he would do... Uh... Like they did good prayer meetings and things, and they say he'd be praying for the orphans. He'd be sharing about the orphans. He'd be telling the story everywhere he went, and he'd say, "Oh Lord, God, you know the children. They need milk, and if they don't have milk tomorrow, we don't we don't know what will happen. But God, we trust you." And then of course somebody would bring milk the next day, <laughs> or. You know, or he'd suggest and he would say, oh, yes, this is a need. And he'd say that this is a need to many people. And so he would hint. And we do encourage against hinting. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I also have some friends from Norway and they said in their culture, it's similar to the English where it's it's not appropriate to ask directly. But you hint around. But you hint so much, so strongly with such specific <laughs> means that they get the picture and they give. And so. Yes, it's okay to hint in that culture, in that circumstance with a person from that culture, but do not believe that George Mueller didn't ask because he was asking constantly, Yeah, and, but in his cultural... Yeah, and this was in the 1800s. Right. And not only did he do what you said, he actually put a donation box right on the front of the orphanage so the whole town could see, oh... I mean, they need money, they right? Need to give. And yes. so that was their opportunity to give. So, right. you know, let's not look at these stories and say, oh, well, I guess I'll just pray and ask God because I don't have to do anything. Or feel like that's the godly way. Right. Well, um, just because a person who is godly did it that way in a certain culture in a certain time period, that doesn't mean that's the biblical way. We've already taught you the biblical way, and we encourage you to always follow the Bible before people. Yes. Okay. Well, I want to um, share something that I thought was really great from the book, The God Ask. Uh, Steve Shadrach, the author of The God Ask and um, the leader of Support Raising Solutions, he shared some great common problems in asking uh, because we talked about how nerve wracking asking can be. So let's look at some of those common problems. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Number one, telling yourself certain people can't or won't give. Uh, yeah, we can we can tell a story or a narrative in our mind about people, and then we'll never ask them. But really, we're generating that story. We don't know until we ask. And so don't tell yourself that people can't or won't give. You'll be surprised by who does. You can talk yourself in yeah. or talk yourself out of anything. So true. Right. And by the way, Steve Shadrach and Support Raising Solutions, it's an excellent boot camp. We used to send all of our 
um, all of our missionaries, our urban missionaries too, yeah. to get trained. So good. And they all came back really, really equipped. They were fired up and they did, they did it. They got yeah. fully funded. If you want to take a whole week to go, and by the way, most of these trainings, you go for a week and you stay in a hotel and from morning till night you work on this yeah, yeah. and you get ready and you come back from it and you work on it. Yes. And so it's massive. So this podcast is more of kind of just an easy way for you to get the information and the material. Yeah. And, and a to get format. to get started and condensed. We're taking, you know, what would be forty to eighty <laughs> hours of training and condensing it into about eight hours of training for you in a podcast format. It's not as effective this way, I don't think, as being there in person and working on it with other people, but it's a good place to start. But if you want to take the second step, I recommend doing the boot camp with Absolutely. Steve Sadrack. It's really good. He also teaches that one of the other common problems in asking is asking everybody for the same amount. Remember, I said I did that. I asked everybody for $20 or $30. And if you decide you're going to ask everyone for, let's say, $50 a month, guess what? Your average gift is going to be around $50. If you ask everyone for $100, your average gift will be $100. Now, I'm not suggesting you ask the same amount for anyone. In fact, Steve Shadrach says to not ask everyone for the same amount. Ask what's appropriate to that person. Another common problem in asking is asking too low. Okay, uh, that's what I did. Um, it was because out of my nervousness, my fear, if I'm going to be honest, that I didn't want to be presumptuous. Uh, but there is an appropriate way to ask that honors the giver. And this one is probably the funniest one, uh, but the most common, I think, uh, common problem in asking, not asking at all. <laughs> In other words, someone will go to all the trouble. They'll send a letter, they'll do a meeting, uh, they'll pray, and then they'll tell their story, their vision, and then they'll wrap up the meeting and say, well, thanks for meeting with me and please pray. And they never ask because they kind of chicken out. Mm. They're just too nervous. Like, just please pray. And they give or, up. <laughs> yeah, they don't really do a direct eye to eye. And they sit at home and wait and hope that person sends money without actually asking them to partner. Yeah, potential donors, they are not mind readers. Right. You have to give them some idea of what it is you're asking them to do. Sure. I, I feel like you would do the same thing, whoever's listening. If someone came to you and said, um, I'm doing a runathon for kids with cancer, mm -hmm. um, just pray about it. They'd be like, pray about what? What do you mean? <laughs> right. Uh, pray about the kids for cancer? Pray that as you run, that you can run well? Like, you know, but but if the person said, oh, I'm doing a run for kids for cancer, um, can you can you get on my partnership team for $50? Be like, oh, $50. Uh, I could give 100 And they say, I'll give 100 Or you could say, $50. Oh, I can only give $40. i will give 40 But at least you know how much you're supposed to give. Yeah. Um, and so that's really vital. And I think if you put yourself in that same situation, you understand how weird it is to talk to somebody about it and not do the ask. It's actually impolite to take their time and not give them the understanding of why you're taking their time. Sure, sure. So just to go over the kind of over the overall game plan of what we're doing as we're building a partnership team, uh, after we do the prep work, of course, of the, uh, uh, the budget, uh, the name list, uh, the first thing we do is we send a vision letter if we haven't been in contact with that person for a long time and we're just starting out. Yeah, or it could be an email if uh, you live really far away, right. you don't have paper, you have no money for a stamp. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not as effective to email 
Uh, so you want to do the most effective way, but that's a good way to right. start. But send a letter giving an overview and a vision and asking for a meeting. And then you follow up from that letter with a text. Uh, of course, you can call them on the phone too. I prefer to text so that when I'm not, on, if I'm on, calling them on the phone, they might say, oh, let's just talk now. And like, no, 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 I, I want to do a presentation. Actually, I have some slides I want to share and some pictures. And so we text them to set up a Zoom meeting and we don't ask them for a date and a time. We actually suggest one. Uh, of course, if there's a better time, we can say that if you have a better time, glad to do that as and well. And of course, with timing, you have to get very, very good at calculating time difference and time changes. Yes. And when they're not at work, right? You want to do something that's appropriate for the husband and wife if it's a couple. So they can both be there because you want to text both of them yes. to invite them, not just one. Yes. And then thirdly, when you actually meet with them, you want to share a, a brief media presentation, which has some photos of you doing ministry, of missions. They can really get an idea of what it's like. And then at the conclusion of the meeting, you want to ask them to consider joining your partnership team. Finally, the fourth step, you need to follow up to that meeting to get their final decision on if they would like to join your team and at what level. Because most people say, I'll pray about it. And then the missionary never gets back to the person. Correct. And they could have had a donor for the next 20 years, but instead they have nothing because they never got back to them. So that's really important. So we're going to go into the details of exactly how to do each of those things. Yeah. So. Um, oh, you know what, though? Before we do that, yeah. I want to add something else to that game plan that I'm not seeing on it. Okay. I know. I'm throwing you a curveball. All right. I feel like you should create a website. And I know that sounds like a high ask. But with today's tools and online tools, you can do a simple one-page free website sure. probably in about two or three hours if yep. you had to. That's true. Um, all you need is like a great the picture for your, from your letter, put it on the website. Yeah. The words from your letter, put it on the website. Um, and then as you sign up with your missions base or campus or a missions organization who's running your funding, if it's in what we're going to give lots of links and resources for that to have a click and give option on the page, as well as your contact information, your phone number, your email, yeah. um, maybe even have a section. If As you grow your website, you can have a blog where you're putting you know, your, your testimonies of what's happening in ministry, pictures of lives have changed, stories. Yeah. Um, you might have uh, the, the logo of your missions organization and some details about it which is really what's in that vision letter. It's taking your vision letter and putting a photo with each paragraph. It's just in a little different format to just show yeah. uh, who I am, what I'm doing. And it's a landing page. So every time you meet somebody out there, you can say, oh, I'll send you my website. And right. you can see what I'm up to. Or as you pray about it, um, let me go ahead and share this website with you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that's where you can put that. We have that great video we suggested earlier mm -hmm. by uh, Lauren Cunningham and Youth with a Mission called I Am a Missionary. You could put um, that on there. I think that's great for any missions organization to utilize that. It's great across the board. Yeah. It's not just about Youth with a Mission. It's about being a missionary. Yes. And someone watches that video and you cry and you want to be involved. That's just <laughs> the way it is. So we have that right on our web page. So I encourage you to create a web page, and then when you do these Zoom meetings, you can guide them to that web page if they decide to give. Yeah, yeah, I I think it's a great idea. You know, if you're gonna, you need to have a digital footprint out there where people can find you, right? They hear about you, they see a post on Facebook or whatever, they're like, oh, I wonder how I could give. Let me Google their name. Oh, they have their own website. Perfect. I can just 
or maybe you put that link in all your social media. Mm-hmm. That's your personal so, website. Before we did our Zoom meetings, we had our website done. So that was the first thing we actually did is we sat down and we went ahead and we took a week and we designed our website. And we had a friend who was a website designer and they're our partner. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Andrea. Yes. She's a girl from our youth group back in, in Dallas, Texas in the 1980s. Yes. And we hadn't talked to her for, I don't know, years. 30 years. Yeah. But she designed our website for us for free yeah. and, and helped us to yeah. get it right. Anyway, point being, a website's a great idea. Yeah. Well, I think, um, let, me, let me just go over, let me start the process here of talking about preparing a presentation, okay, that you're going to give when you meet face-to-face, you know, putting something together that really makes sense. Well, the first thing you might need to do <laughs> before you even do that is say you're sorry because maybe you've been a missionary for a couple of years and you, t- you just know you've done a terrible job communicating to your partners, thanking them well, sending them updates. You've kind of taken them for granted or maybe somebody gave you money to go on a trip. You never sent, you know, responded back to let them know what happened. Or maybe you texted them a thank you but never a report. What's a way that somebody would say thank you, Juan? How would you do that? Well, I mean, say sorry. Uh, yeah. Say you're sorry. Well, first of all, I would do it face to face. So if you're meeting and sitting down with somebody to do a presentation, say, you know what? The first thing I want to do is number one, thank you because you gave, let's say two years ago and I went on that trip or I did that that school and um, I really blew it. I didn't really adequately thank you and report back on what happened. And I'm sorry. Um, I'm growing. I'm maturing as a leader. And I want to tell you I'm sorry and let you know what did happen because you gave. Yeah, that's so good that you would start the meeting with an I'm sorry. And uh, and I think that's so good because they remember they gave. Yeah. They remember that you did give. I think sometimes we just want to push it on the car- carpet and forget about it. Because we're, like, we're embarrassed. I just want to pretend like that never happened. Yeah. No, go ahead and say you're sorry. And that's going to gain a lot of trust yeah. with that partner. Yeah. So here's a meeting breakdown. Let's say you're getting together with people uh, to share your vision and ask them to join your team. The first part of that meeting when you get together, uh, whether it's in person or Zoom, is to reconnect as friends, uh, is to catch up with them. They may even want to jump right into, oh, yeah, I got your letter. I know you're doing some stuff with Youth Mission. What is it? And like, just, oh, no, 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 wait. First, I actually had some questions for you. I've been thinking about you. how's, How's your kids? your job going? Um, I remember that you were, you know, on this project and I never heard back. You you just catch up with their life. Yeah. And the way I teach this is I do something called three questions deep. And what it is, is many times we ask someone a question, they give an answer and then we move on. Mm -hmm. That shows a very surface level of care for them. Yeah. So three questions deep. This is great for one-on-ones. It's great for discipleship and it's excellent for this Zoom meeting. And that is you ask them a question about their life, like, oh, tell me about your son, uh, Tim. You know, I, I heard he got had an accident and broke his leg. How is that healing up? And they're like, oh, thanks for remembering. Well, well, yeah, he's healing up, but he can't play football anymore. Now he's playing this other sport and this and that. And uh, it takes a lot of time. Okay, so this first question means you're being polite. Yeah. Second question, you ask about the same topic means yeah you respond to their answer you ask a question about the answer they yeah it means you're interested 
So then I might say, oh, really? He's playing that new sport, rock climbing. How's that going? Are, do you have to go there? Are you, are you there on the weekends? Are there competitions? How does that work? And they're like, oh, gosh, thanks for asking. And then they explain that. And then um, maybe they might say, oh, I never have time to be there because of this job I have or this thing going on. And I wish I could be there more. And then you ask your third question. And your third question, three questions deep, means you care. And that's when you're like, really? That must be so hard. I know it's hard when you can't be there when you want to be. That's such a challenge. I really feel for you. That happened to me too when blah, blah, blah. And and then so you talk to them about it. Yeah, your conversation gets deeper and deeper. Right. So the first question is just being polite. Mm -hmm. The second question is that you're interested. Yeah. And the third question is that you care. So you want to try to get three questions deep about them and their life. And if you're talking to a married couple, don't just talk to one of the couple. Try to talk to both. Yeah. You know, what you're saying, it's really uh, social skills, relationship skills, friendship skills. It's also how to love well. Yes. And um, in order to build a team, we have to love our teammates well, our potential partners who we're going to join. And so when you're getting together with them, you do want to really show concern and care for their lives and genuinely love them. And then it will be natural as you hear about their lives and ask questions that they're going to ask about your life. And then you transition into sharing. Uh, you're really going to follow the, the same format that you mailed the letter. You're just going to do that now in person and give a lot more detail. And you're not reading it. No, of course not. You're, you're, you're starting off by sharing a little update. Oh, yes. Here's what I'm doing now. Um, your testimony. Here's how I ended up here, how God led me on this journey yeah. to be a missionary, right? And then you share the vision. The majority of that meeting is going to be vision, all right? You're going to talk about the history and the impact of YWAM because that's part of the vision. You're going to talk about your role, uh, your goals, your vision, lives you want to touch. In fact, um, another thing that's really important in these kinds of meetings is to have a story of a changed life. So critical. Yeah. What does that look like? Yeah. So you don't want to just give numbers and stats and stories. You want to actually tell about a real person that their life was touched because you're in missions. No, it could be uh, when you were on outreach and you led someone to the Lord. Could be you prayed for somebody. Could be you've been discipling a student, a young person in another country, or maybe you're staffing a DTS or a secondary school and you're discipling young people and building up leaders, but you want to share their story, hopefully with a photo as well, so you can see, oh, that's awesome. Right. And having one person with a name and a story yes. is really key. So that way it kind of goes from big picture of this is what exactly. the this is what the whole organization is doing globally. Yep. This is what I'm doing in the organization to very personal to this is a life change. Exactly. These are these are proven great methods to communicate with integrity. Right. And then you come to the conclusion of your meeting where you invite them very directly to join your team and you would ask a monthly amount or in a range. Okay. Like it might say, Hey, I, I've been praying about it. And I want to ask if you would consider giving a uh, hundred to $150 a month to partner with me in missions to accomplish all these things that I've been sharing with you uh, in our time today. Uh, and so your major part of that meeting is about the vision and what you hope to do to share the heart and soul of what this is all about, because that's really what they're going to be responding to. 
Okay. And now when you're preparing for a Zoom presentation, I'm guessing you have to practice doing a Zoom to know how to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe practice with a friend or something. So Absolutely. You're comfortable with it. And then sharing um, pictures, like a picture of the story life changed or a picture of you doing ministry, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that you can do that on Zoom? Yeah, uh, of course, you have to get used to it and understand how to share your screen, share a presentation. It's very easy, but it's you have to know how to do it. I don't know. It sounds hard. It sounds like <laughs> fundraising is hard, but the partnership is sweet. Yeah. It sounds hard to some people. Like, what if you're not, like, really technical? Is it still possible? So it's so easy, um, but it will take a little practice, maybe. And so you can do that with a friend. You can even do it with somebody in your same house. They can go to the other side of the house, and you can mm-hmm. sh- do a presentation with them and share your slides. And you do want to share some visuals. I think it's important in today's day and age um, because a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So true. And so if you show some photos of you at work as a missionary, mm-hmm. whether it's at your campus, whether it's out on the mission field, um, just as you walk through your story, you have a few slides and some photos. I think it's really powerful. And please don't prepare 40 slides. You don't need that many. And you don't have to be a graphic designer. Yeah, I would say 10 or less. Um, And think of it this way. If somebody was going to tell you a story about, um, let's say, their life on um, painting women's nails and toes to help encourage them, like single moms who live in poverty and that they do mani-pedis. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just say that. I'm, I'm pulling this out of the sky, you guys. This is just an idea off the top of my head. How many slides do you want to see of Manny Petty? Yeah, probably probably just a couple. Under, under <laughs> 10 yes. would be plenty. Please. One story, plenty, right? So think of it that way. This person is not as excited or as interested in what you're doing as you are. So they just need a basic understanding, you know? Yeah. And one of the other things we've done uh, in many presentations is we've put in that video, I am a missionary. Right. Um and we asked them, like, hey, is it okay if we just show you a video real quick? It's four minutes long. And- right. We'll show them that video or one like it, mm-hmm. even in the meeting. Yeah. Or, I mean, like it. Or leading up to the meeting, like, hey, I'm looking. And by the way, before we meet with them, we always do like a reminder text. Sure. The night, night before, the morning of, like, hey, looking forward to seeing you at four o'clock. Right. And we might even send the video then, like, here's a video of some of, some of what we're doing, our organization is doing, and send them that. Or if we, if we don't show it during the presentation because it didn't work or just didn't, timing wasn't right, it was more of a quick meeting, we might, as they're praying and thinking about it, saying, oh, as you pray and think about it, watch this video to see more about what we're doing. Yeah. And so you can utilize really excellent media by professionals in that way. Yeah. And in the next episode, we're actually going to do a, a presentation. We're going to role play for you and we're going to show you uh, exactly how we go about giving a presentation. Um, we're also going to give you specific texts, like the the verbiage on how to text someone to ask for a Zoom meeting or a face-to-face meeting. We're going to give a lot of the nuts and bolts. And so I think you're going to really get a lot out of this, uh, the real practicals of how to ask someone to join your partnership team in a very clear, direct, and I think human way. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully you picked up a few tidbits of wisdom Yes. in this podcast. We are here to help you for free. This is all free. And I'm not even asking, say it's for free to ask for anything. Yes. We are. This is a gift um, to you who's listening because we want you 
to be able to prosper and to be in health. Yeah, and we're doing this. We're hundred. We're a hundred percent funded, you guys. And the reason we have the time, effort, energy to teach you right now is we have been funded by our partners to do missions. Yeah, if it wasn't for our partners, we would not have time to sit here and teach you this. Um, and again, like we said at the very beginning of this podcast, half of all missionaries quit in the first 10 years due for two reasons, relationship problems and fundraising problems, money problems. And so those are two of the main things we try to teach on because can you imagine if thousands of people who are missionaries quit and the difference in the world from those thousands of missionaries quitting yeah. versus thousands of missionaries staying on the field and yeah. reaching thousands of more lives, yes. the impact is huge. Yes. So this is really a big issue, you guys. It's such a big issue. Yeah. We want you to win. We want you to fulfill God's call in your life. So uh, tune in to these next couple episodes. We're going to be wrapping things up, and we're going to help you to successfully build your team and do everything God has called you to do. Oh.